the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 to chapter 3 and verse 12. We're going to work our way through uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 this morning. Uh, it's a section that talks about working together as God's people, and we see that in this chapter. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this, uh, this section of scripture, and then um, we'll, of course, later on preach on this message as well from God's word. So. Let me read from Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me. And what the king had said to me, they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priest went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the tower of the hundred, which they dedicated as far as the tower of Ananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Asana. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Meramoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakoz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshulam, son of Berechiah, and son of Meshazabel made repairs, and next to him Zadok, the son of Bana, also made repairs. The next section was repaired by the men of Tekoa, but their nobles would not put their shoulders to the work under their supervisors. The Jeshana gate was repaired by Joidiah, son of Pasea, and Meshulam, son of Besodiah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mizpah, Melatiah of Gibeon and Jadon of Meronoth, places under the authority of the governor of Trans-Euphrates. Uziel, son of Haayah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Ananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Rephiah, son of Ur, ruler of the half-district of Jerusalem, repaired the next section. Joining this, Jediah, son of Arumaf, made repairs opposite the house, and Atush, son of Ashabneiah, made repairs next to him. Malkijah, son of Arim, and Ashub, son of Pahat Moab, repaired another section of the Tower of the Ovens. Shalom, son of Halobesh, Halohesh, sorry, ruler of a half-district of Jerusalem, 
repaired the next section with the help of his daughter. Our next reading from God's word is from Nehemiah chapter 3, beginning from verse 22 to the end of the chapter. The repairs next to him were made by the priests from the surrounding region. Beyond them, Benjamin and Hashab made repairs in front of their house. And next to them, Azariah, son of Messiah, the son of Ananiah, made repairs beside his house. Next to him, Binui, son of Hanadad, repaired another section from Azariah's house to the angle and the corner. And Palal, son of Azariah, worked opposite the angle and the tower projecting from the upper palace near the court of the guard. Next to him, Pedadiah, son of Parosh, and the temple servants living on the hill of Ophel, made repairs up to a point opposite the water gate, toward the east and the projecting tower. Next to them, the men of Tekoa repaired another section from the great projecting tower to the wall of Ophel. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his own house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemamiah, son of Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made repairs. Next to him, Hananiah, son of Shelemiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zalaf, repaired another section. Next to them, Meshalam, son of Berechiah, made repairs opposite his living quarters. Next to him, Malkajar, one of the goldsmiths, made repairs as far as the house of the temple servants and the merchants, opposite the inspection gate, and as far as the room above the corner, and between the room above the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and merchants made repairs. Praise be to God for his word. Thank you, uh Russell, well, friends, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we ask that you give us understanding of it, apply it into our hearts and lives. I ask that you forgive me for my sins and use me as an instrument in your hands this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I'm sure most of us at some stage in our lives have been part of teams, Perhaps you are currently part of a soccer team. Anyone part of a soccer team here this morning? No? Just raise it right up, okay? We see a few hands up there, okay. Well, you're part of a soccer team. Maybe you're part of a basketball team or a squash team. And speaking of teams, we have a great season starting very soon. The Ashes. Right? Anyone going for the Ashes? Have you bought your tickets? I meet an old man on my walks most times in the mornings. His name is Bill. He's an old man. He goes with his dog. The dog is also very old. He says to me the other day, Chris, are you going for the ashes, my boy? That's how he talks to me. He's one of my neighbors down the road. He said, yes, I'm planning to go to the ashes. He said, wow, I can't wait to see the palms get the works. The cricket team is really getting fired up. And if you are a member of the Australian cricket team, I'm sure they've been working very hard, do their best to uh, kind of get the, well, they can't win the Ashes back, but at least to get back at the English team. Well, we've been part of teams. 
I've played cricket many times in my life, and I know others as well. And somehow, as a team member, you do your work together, and you huddle up together. That's the new thing now, isn't it? Have you seen all the footy guys? They get together and this massive huddle. I wonder what they say to each other when they're in that big huddle. Must be some kind of words. So you are displaying to the opposition, we are a team. Look at our huddle. It's big. We love each other. I want to come and get you. Right. So it's this huddle thing. It's part of the team. Encouragement to one another. Support to one another. Celebrate the moments of victory. Cry when you lose. And it all happens. Well, being part of a team is an exciting thing. Right? I remember, I think someone said this in the holiday club, together everyone achieves more. That's what a team is. Right? It's the team song. Together everyone achieves more. And a team comes together and we have a goal in mind and you work towards that goal. And this morning, I want to look at this chapter under the title, Teamwork. Because what we see in Nehemiah chapter 3, in fact, it starts with chapter 2, is this massive organization that goes on where Nehemiah brings together teams to come under one big team. And that is to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and to rebuild, to make the gates. So let me give you some introductory comments. You see, Jerusalem was a very important city because it was connected to God's name and his reputation on earth. It is where God's people lived and worshipped the Lord. Uh, They were to be a city that shone forth to the other cities of the world as a witness of God. And when the Babylonians attacked Jerusalem, they destroyed the walls that encircled the city. King Nebuchadnezzar tore down the walls, burned the gates. And this made God's people extremely vulnerable and left them in harm's way. Life could not be secure within that country, within that city. Now for almost 200 years, they are still down and haven't been rebuilt. And news of this reached Nehemiah and we saw his response in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah chapter 2. Right When Nehemiah heard of the situation, he was emotionally distraught. He was broken. He was devastated. He weeps. He moans. He fasts. He prays. And the question is, why was he so concerned about the walls and gates of Jerusalem? Surely, why? Why does he want to rebuild the city walls? After all, they are just walls and gates. What was his purpose? Having read through uh, the book of Nehemiah, I believe that his, his whole purpose is not just to rebuild the walls, but his purpose is to build the people in the city, which we will see in Nehemiah chapter 8 through to 13. The building project is designed to rebuild the people, to bring back the worship and bring back the praise to God. And i like us to remember this, always. And most importantly, friends, when you see some Nehemiah, when you look at the book of Nehemiah, I think it also points us to Christ. And i like us to see that this morning. When you see Nehemiah leaving his position of privilege 
to come to the people and remove their shame and distress, we see a picture of Christ who left his position of exaltation, humbled himself to remove our shame and distress. So in a sense, we are tracking Christ through the book of Nehemiah, as we must with all Old Testament books as well. Also what we see here is that the city of God is not a physical location anymore. The city of God, the church of God, is found among all the nations and all the cities, but its walls are down. There is discouragement and despondency, particularly in the Western world. Do you agree? People have told me, oh Chris, many years ago we had 200 people in PFA. We had to bring kids in busloads to our kids' church. Imagine that. When I was at Reservoir, the, the, well, Noel will tell this. <laughs> His father was a minister at Reservoir. Well, the, the people told me that they, are, they, the, they had a bus that the driver would go and pick up kids and bring them to kids' church. Imagine that. What has happened? What has happened? Can we get a busload of kids today to come to kids' church? Um, You'll find them on the football ground. You'll find them in the sporting field playing their cricket. You'll find them playing tennis. You'll find, you'll find little kids all dressed up Sunday mornings. They're out in the fields, aren't they? The church, it's not there. We know it. We see it. We know it. We understand it. You have children. You have grandchildren. I know some of you are praying for your grandchildren who don't know Christ. Where are we going? Well, we are trusting our God to reach people for Christ through you and me as God's people. Are we not? So in this sense, friends, this book is also a challenge for us. And so in chapter 2, the king, Nehemiah goes to the king. He makes a request to the king and he asks for three things. Nehemiah, Nehemiah makes three requests to the king. He says, I want authority. Send me back to the city. Give me letters, protection. Give me grants so that I can go. Chapter 2, verse 8. He had the letters. He had the king's protection. He had the grants. He went out to Jerusalem. Amazing to see how God has answered prayer. Then he walks through the city. He sees for himself what has to be done. And in 2.18, we read this. And I told him of the hand of my God that, I've been, that has been upon me for good and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And the people said, you keep your Bibles open, Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 18, let us rise up and build. They responded. They, they strengthened their hands and they call it a good work. God's work is a good work. Because God is involved in that work. And so the people caught this vision. What a great response. You can see the, uh, hear the unanimity. You can see the excitement in the, in, the, in, in the text itself. God's hand is upon this project. And let's see what happens now. 2.19. So we pick up this morning. There is opposition to the work. Opposition and discouragement, friends, are inevitable in the life of God's people. The church will face it always. It's been there, and it will always be there. 
Christians in many parts of the world today are marginalized. Here in our own country, for example, this last week, did you read the article? Uh, It was in uh, one of the local papers. It said this, the Australian War Memorial has abandoned a proposal to remove the words known unto God from the tomb of the Australian unknown soldier. Apparently, the memorial's governing council decided at its meeting in August to replace these words known unto God on the tomb at the Canberra Memorial with the words from a speech by Paul Keating. (laughs) And... Prime Minister Tony Abbott intervened personally and he said, it shall not be removed. And so, remains these words, known unto God. Can you see that? So everything in our society has been gradually being taken away. Any references to God, any reference to the Christian, the, the, the Western civilization that has gone on with the gospel influence in Western civilization, anything towards Christianity is being gradually socially engineered to be taken away. Even the tomb of the unknown soldier, known unto God, is to be taken off. Because the word God is there. Can you see? I mean, it must be so hard for some of you older people in this congregation. We are members who are 96 years, others who are in their 80s, born and bred in this country. It must be so hard for you to see what is going on, isn't it? You see, Nehemiah chapter 2, 19. But when Sanballat, the Oronite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it, they jeered. Ha, ha, ha. They jeered at us. And they despised us and said, what is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Oh, you guys, you, don't, you lost it. See, we ought not to be surprised when it comes. You see, the first stirring of opposition begins to take shape when Nehemiah announces his plans to return to Jerusalem. They jeered. They made fun of him. Then they asked two questions. What is this thing you are doing? Are you rebelling against this king? And how did Nehemiah respond? Nehemiah responded uh, with, with these words. Oh, should I have been going on with that? I answered them by saying, the God of What do we see there? The God of heaven. What's he going to do? Will give us success. We servants will start rebuilding. And then he says to them, as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. So don't just jeer from the side and say, ho, 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 this is happening Poor you guys, you have lost your mind. Nehemiah says, oh no. (laughs) There's something waiting for you guys. You know what? Because the God of heaven will give us success. Do you believe that this morning? The God of heaven. This God is the omnipotent God. This God is the omniscient God. This God is the omnipresent God. He's a great and awesome God. And I've been thinking about this God these past few weeks. And I've been reflecting upon it. And to see how our God is an awesome God, friends. That this church belongs to this, to this God. And he will do his purposes for his glory. You see, Nehemiah is saying to, to these people here, 
You see, the Persian king knew that Nehemiah stood in the service of God. This phrase, the God of heaven, was a known phrase in the Persian court. Our God, he says, will give us success. He is the one we trust. And then Nehemiah replied with certain legal uh, responses here. Jerusalem was the city of the Jews and the enemies had no right to it. That's a legal connotation there. And he assured nothing, no one or anything can stop the God of heaven. Can you stop the God of heaven? (laughs) Have you ever tried you see, and the Bible tells us, and it came up in our Bible study group, actually my growth group on Friday mornings, I have a, we have a fantastic growth group, great food by the way, it's a fantastic time we spend, we study together God's word, and someone said to me, on, it came up on Friday morning, they said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Don't mess around with God. It's a fearful thing. You see, opposition and discouragement are inevitable from the inside and also from the outside. And now as we come to chapter 3, we see a whole list of names. Names that we find hard to pronounce. And we have detailed accounts of the way the gates, the walls, the city was rebuilt. It's a team effort, friends. These workers were motivated for God. Their motivation came from within. Nehemiah did not have much to offer them. He didn't offer them money, nothing. He said, come and rebuild. And they came because they had seen the hand of God. That's the motivation. We can't offer you anything. The motivation comes from inside, does it not? What's the motivation that keeps you going? Where does it come from as a Christian? Does it not come from the hand of God that inspires you from within to say, keep going? When the, I know there's a song, when the going is tough. No, when the going is rough, the tough. Oh. Ah, when the going is tough, the tough get going. There you go. She's uh, going to listen to that song now. <laughs> okay. Right? You see that? It's there because that comes from the good hand of our God that when the then the chips are down. God is there to encourage us, to motivate us, to lift us up from the mire pit, and He puts our feet on a solid rock. And so every day is a new day. Every day gives opportunities. Every day I thank God for life, my family, my friends, the relationships we have, the opportunities to serve Him, and I say, God, thank you, because you are good. Even in the midst of trials. And you know it's been very hard for us this past, past few weeks. And particularly this past week. It has been emotionally a very hard week. But God stands with his people. He stands alongside us. And carries us through. He comes from within. You see. Winston Churchill was a great motivator. He said this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. (laughs) We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. He said this, the pessimist sees the problems in every opportunity. 
Whereas the optimist sees the opportunity in every problem. <laughs> right? Some great sayings, isn't it? By the way, he also said this about taxes. I found this quite amusing. He said this, there is no such thing as a good tax. <laughs> There's no such thing as a good tax. You see, these people gave of themselves to the work, and Nehemiah has listed them. And you might say to me, Chris, are you crazy? What's the purpose of looking at this chapter 3, this whole list of names? And I read through the names about five times to get this thing in my head this whole week. And looking at the names, and what does it really mean? My answer is, friends, yes, it is important. It does matter. Why does it matter? Because what we see here in chapter 3 is a history of God working with his people. God and his people working together. And we don't want to miss it, do we? I did have a booklet with me that it's, I think it's in my office. The 125th anniversary celebrations of this church. It was written by uh, the committee. And I was reading through that. And I see a list of names there. Some of those names we won't even know. In 50 years' time, if the Lord doesn't come, unless he comes before that, right, no one will even remember. Who was that guy, Chris Siriwira? Who was he? We don't know him. But somewhere, maybe in the book, we'll have our names. We'll have your names as members of this congregation. Look, ah, okay. And we look back and we see those names. And what does it do to us? It makes, makes us thankful that these men and women have put effort into this place so that we are today blessed because of what they had done in the past. You see, one writer gives us five reasons for looking at Nehemiah chapter 3. I'm going to go through this very quickly. We see the incredible organization. The entire community was mobilized to work harmoniously and simultaneously. Two, the entire workforce demonstrated dedication and enthusiasm to complete the work. Number three, the enemies of the Jews were caught off guard by the speed of Nehemiah and his workers. Before they could organize to stop the work, it was complete. Number four, this chapter is one of the best sources of the topography, that is the configuration of the land of ancient Jerusalem. Number five, it shows the involvement of the entire Jewish community, evident by the representatives of crafts, trades, various social classes. 38 individual workers named in this chapter. 42 different people groups are identified. Men and women, craftsmen, priests, people, all rose up to build. Chapter 3, verse 3. Eliashib, the high priest, begins that work. Look at your text. The starting point is at the sheep gate. Why the sheep gate? Have you seen the gates here? You get the sheep gate, you get the fountain gate, you get the water gate. (laughs) All the gates are mentioned, right? Okay? And they start this work at the sheep gate. And I looked at this text, and you see, by, by putting this at the sheep gate, the text symbolically it is saying that they are putting God first. They are starting at the place that would lead to worship. They consecrated this first section to God. And they were bringing the sheep through that, through the, for the sacrifices. They put in worship first. And then we have people working in front of them, opposite them. Over 40 times you hear these words after him, next to him. They're all putting their hands together for this job. And look at the text there. Working together as teams. But then you come to chapter 3 and verse 5. 
Have a look at chapter 3 and verse 5. You have a group of people called the Tekoites. Right? The Tekoites. Pronounce it that way. Look at what happened in chapter 3 and verse 5. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. Then what happened? Have a notice. Look, look there very carefully. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Imagine that. The Tekoites are there, they're working hard. But the, the big guys, they won't have a bar of it. <laughs> the nobles don't want to touch it. But they, don't you love the honesty of God's word? Notice something about these Tekoites. It says Tekoa was about 15 kilometers from Jerusalem. Note the contrast. The Tekoites built without their leaders. Why? Because the leaders, they thought it is below their dignity to put their shoulders to the work. And so they say, ha ha, we're not coming. You guys go and do the work. We'll just sit there and watch. Great leadership, isn't it? <laughs> Great leadership. You know, last Sunday morning, I saw an old man. I won't mention his name. The, 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 the hall was being swept. The, the hall was being swept after our lunch. And this old man, probably nearly 80, he got on his knees with a dustpan and he cleared all that dirt from the floor. I mean, I was on the other side of the, ah, oh, man, what an example. Eh? Yeah, us guys, was, oh, good work. When is the last time you got on your knees, you can, that is, a dustpan and cleaned some of the dust. And that man, that example, you know, that, that, that just hit me. And I, I, I was just amazed. You see, are we so proud? You see, sometimes pride can be in terrible ways, can't it? And come making you feel as if you're better than the other person. It can be very patronizing. It can come up as a very strong kind of view and you put other people down and you don't look at them, for myself included. Is, is there pride in my heart? I need to watch that. You see, here these people, they stoop down and, and they are doing the work, but the leaders didn't come. I want to go through this very quickly now. So if you have these workers working, Nehemiah chapter 3, 9 to 17, there are goldsmiths, there are perfume makers, perfume makers. I mean, there were perfume makers at the time, must have had some fantastic perfumes, Calvin Klein and, anyway, my wife gave me a beautiful perfume the other day, it was still in the box. Yesterday I pulled it out from my drawer and said, Chris, I've given it to you as your birthday gift. Use it. I love it in the box. <laughs> it's, you know, I've taken it out. I've taken it out. It's out. It's out. It's out. Anyway, perfume makers, right? And look at this. You've got all of these people. There's officials, Levites, priests, all in the team. There were women on the team. They were all walking, walking together, building this side of the wall, that side of the wall. Making the gates, putting their roof, putting their tents, putting this, that, valley gate, dung gate. Now think about this, friends, dung gate. No one got up and said to Nehemiah, why the, by the way, why did you put me at the dung gate? <laughs> I mean, of all places, Nehemiah, surely not the dung gate. I don't want to be in that smelly dung place. That's not a job for me. That's for the dung guys, not for me. 
No, no, no. They all got in there, even the smelly jobs. They got in there and they did their work. You see, friends, God's work will call us to do lots of things. You know, I thank God every day. I hope you do as well. Because you're confronted when you go to hospitals. You see the reality of life and what can happen. Every day. God has given you a gift. If you're a Christian, spiritual gift, if God can use you, say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I want to put the shoulder to the work because you are building a kingdom for you. I don't want to be sitting on the outside and jeering and saying, ho, 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 you guys. No, I want to be part of this building project. Yes, because I am motivated by you because of your hand upon my life. Do you thank God every day for life? Do you thank God for the breath of life you're breathing right now? Day, day before, I think, was a great day. Friday morning was a fantastic morning. What a glorious sunshine it was. And I went for a walk. And I felt like skipping as I walked. You do weird things, right? I mean, I do anyway. I go this way, that way, on the water park. Anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, I said, Lord, life has been heavy. Burdens have come upon us hard. But I just thank you, God for the sunshine of the new day and the warmth of your love that is beyond comparison because our God is a great God and Nehemiah has seen it. Our God will give us success. In conclusion, friends, what do we see here? There is both prayer and preparation. Nehemiah planned, prepared, prayed, and he worked with the people. And lessons of leadership we can learn. God answers prayer. There is unity amidst diversity. Not, not the coordination and the unity among the people. There was no backbiting. No one said, I don't want to work here, there, or anywhere else. There is unity because in unity there is strength. Jesus prayed for it. My prayer for us as a congregation is that no matter what happens, no matter what challenges come our way, that we stand united in Christ for a purpose. Three, leadership was absolutely crucial. He gave that leadership. Leadership must lead in a godly way. Wonderful principles of leadership we see here. To be a leader in God's church is a privilege. It is a privilege. And with that comes responsibilities. It's an honor to serve God in his church. And finally, friends, get involved. Get involved. We have teams here. You can be part of it. So in conclusion, see, this was a team effort. These teams are united. They had a unity based on their love for God. They all loved the same God. They also had a mission. They had a relational unity. They all accomplished the same task. They weren't overwhelmed by the size of the task. They could have said it can't be done. No way are we going to attempt this huge task. No, because they've seen the hand of God. 
They had a theological unity based on their understanding of God. Our God will give us success. How much more for us today? And then Paul says this, and I close. So Christ himself gave the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Do you know Jesus Christ this morning? Have you committed your life to Jesus? Because that is the beginning of knowledge when you know Christ in your life. And you will not be the same. Right? You will not be the same. Because the Spirit will take you on and He will lead you to places that you never imagined you would go. And your dreams and your hopes and your aspirations are built in Christ alone. And we stand secure in Him. What a blessing, eh? What a blessing to be part of the team. Are you encouraged this morning to be part of God's team? Here at St. Stephen's. Right? Join the team. Put the shoulders to the work. Say, God, I'm excited because your hand is upon me. And I want to put my hand in yours. And let's work together. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for moments we could be together like this. I want to thank you for every single person here, Lord. And our families and our loved ones, both near and far. Help us to love one another as Christ has loved this church. and As Christ has loved this church. And Father, we pray that together you would humble us, Lord. And that together we will work. Because we believe in you, our God, who will give us success. Father, move us so that we will be men and women of prayer. That we will be men and women of thoughtfulness and wisdom. And planning and preparation. And above all, be men and women of prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.